candidate for governor. I've gotten lots of questions in Massachusetts from my friends and everything asking, what way should I vote on the ballot questions? And especially question one, a lot of people have gotten a ton of mailers in the mail. A lot of people have a lot of questions on it, what it is. Um, so I've heard so much about this. And there might be no one in the state who knows more about it than um, my friend Jeff Deal, who's been involved in so many ballot questions, especially on taxes, help with the ballot question, getting rid of the uh, gas tax being indexed to inflation in Massachusetts, which was huge. I cannot imagine what would we be paying. So a lot of people have been asking me about these this ballot question, especially question one, because they're getting these huge mailers. Um, there's millions and millions of dollars being poured into the 30 million right 30 now. 30 so million. Uh, mostly from unions uh, that would benefit from this, obviously, they feel if if it passed. And, and you know, people, it sounds too good to be true. People are getting these mailers. It says you're not going to pay any more. It's just the wealthy that are going to be paying a little more. You know, why does it sound too good to be true? What's, what's the catch here? <laughs> well, people need to know the history about the attempt to do this, what, what's called a millionaire's tax on their end. But what we know is really an attempt to break open our constitutional flat tax of 5% and make it a graduated income tax. And that's what's been attempted five different times in the past. There were there were groups like Citizens for Limited Taxation that used to work on, on blocking this, and they were successful for years. And um, even, I think, the Mass High Tax Council is now trying to pick up the uh, banner and, and show that this is going to uh, really negatively affect the uh, economy in Massachusetts. So uh, just for people's awareness, our state tax, income tax is 5%, to a flat 5%. And what the attempt here is to break it open. It's a constitutional amendment, which means the legislature, the House and Senate, uh, which is a supermajority of Democrats right now, has voted twice. You have to vote in two subsequent um, sessions or two adjoining sessions to make this constitutional amendment, and then it'll go on the ballot. So it is, they've been trying to do this for a long time. I've taken many votes up on Beacon Hill against this. Um, the last time they tried this in the previous election or previous yeah, election cycle, it was actually thrown out because the language actually talked about earmarking the money for education and uh, transportation, which is not legal. No tax that goes, uh, no tax that's levied on anybody um, can be uh, earmarked for the uh, uh, for any specific spending. It goes to the general fund. I mean, now that's different than the gas tax. So the gas tax is you pay at the pump and it goes for transportation. That's a different story. Uh, but anyway, the uh, attempt here is to create a graduated tax, which means there'll be separate brackets for different people. So right now they're saying, hey, we're going to we're going to hit millionaires, right? Okay. Arbitrary number, a million dollars. We're going to hit people who earn over a million dollars. But what ends up happening is, um, like in California and New York that have done this, they've broken open their tax code. They end up starting to create additional tax brackets for people at lower income uh, levels. So somebody making $36,000 or $45,000 in Massachusetts is going to pay a 5% tax. Uh, but if you look at California and New York, you'll see that the uh, the taxes for people making that kind of income are closer to 6%, 6.5% because they've been adjusting them over time. When they start to run out of money, they start to, uh, again, move down the ladder of income earners. So that's one really big concern about this that uh, we have. The yeah, second- To do that, will they have to go back through the same process again of passing it twice through the legislature and then back on the ballot again in order to change the brackets more once they get there? Or once they break this flat tax structure, is it just broken? 
yeah, once they break it open, now you have precedent being set that you can have different uh, tax brackets for different income earners. That's really the what they're trying to get to ultimately, right? Because our state supreme courts will then use this as precedent for allowing uh, any ch- or for blocking any challenge to future tax uh, tax bracket um, adjustments. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a it's really. Unfortunately, you're being sold a bill of goods. And, and let me tell you something, uh, being a millionaire in Massachusetts right now, uh, it's not as hard as you think. It's This is not like 1930 when the board game Monopoly came out and you know you say, you're a millionaire. Like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine how I'd spend a million dollars. Right now, a triple-decker uh, floor in Southie where the, the Boston police officers used to buy a home for their family because that was the, the most affordable place to live, that's a million dollars a floor right now. So, you know, what uh, they're also not telling you is that not only is this cannot be earmarked for transportation or education, uh, but also that the uh, that you're not going to be taxed on your home. That's absolutely not true. If you start a small business, like my wife and I, we have a performing arts studio that she runs. We started it 20 years ago. We lived with my in-laws for a couple of years to save our money. We invested everything we had. My wife didn't take a salary for a few years. The business grew 20 years later. it's We've got property. We've got a, a, a nice business that teaches uh, hundreds of kids a year how to dance and act and sing. I, I don't do that. I'm the maintenance guy on the weekends. But the uh, fact is the... the um, the business is doing well. So if in Massachusetts, you know, we decide to go and sell that someday and it's worth over a million dollars, then guess what? We're going to be hit with this, right? If we sell our home, which we bought, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago and, you know, the we paid, I think it was like three or $400,000 for the house. If it's worth over a million when we sell it, we'll be hit additionally for that. Uh, so this is this actually punishes anybody who's been successful or made good decisions that's what ends up happening is and and that's why they know how much money this will ultimately bring in is billions of dollars uh, annually because they're going to be hitting so many different uh, folks and and let me just tell you i guess this is the most uh, uh the part they won't tell you the most is anybody who has uh income that exceeds a million dollars usually is someone who has a pretty good tax attorney or a tax accountant that will uh, they can figure out a way to offshore their money or they will physically leave the state. So we've seen this in other states that have uh, done this. People will end up, New Jersey, I think, is probably one of the most uh, egregious examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people left the state once they um, did this uh, this surtax for, uh, for millionaires. So fact of the matter is it really is going to end up moving people out of the state who are high earners that reinvest that money either into their property, which keeps the housing market strong, or they reinvest the money into businesses that they have, which help grow those businesses and hire more people. Um, but really what we end up anticipating is uh, is a capital fleeing the state. And uh, you're also going to drive out big companies. Uh, GE is moving their headquarters out of Massachusetts. Uh, they just moved in recently. The, uh, the company Raytheon is moving their headquarters to um, down to Virginia. Uh, Smith & Wesson out in uh, Springfield is moving down to uh, Nashville. They're all going to states that have much friendlier tax codes because the executives that work for those companies don't want to live in a state where they're going to be taxed at 9% versus uh, other states which either have no income tax or, or lower income taxes. So we're driving out companies with uh, that talent pool that would uh, help our state grow again with uh, the economy by having strong uh, jo- uh, companies and jobs that, that come with that. 
Right. And now, does the state of Massachusetts need this money right now? Because it seems like that's all I hear about from people around. It's like our schools are so underfunded. Everything like we need this money. It has to come from somewhere. Why not the richer people? Since, you know, we apparently can't fund schools and teachers and all these things. It's a constant refrain that we're like out of money. So we need to do something. Yeah. Well, Alice, let me just uh, say, when I first ran for the state legislature, I think our annual budget, the state's annual budget was about $36 uh, billion. This last year, they just passed a budget that was about $50 billion. So they are bringing in and spending roughly $50 billion a year. Now, just this last year alone, there was an additional $5 billion that the federal government gave Massachusetts for ARPA, the uh, the recovery from the pandemic, basically, uh, money came in and there was $5 billion. Now, then, and this is what's uh, really mind blowing. We had excess tax revenue collection in the tune of about $8 billion. So if you think about that, that's $13 billion in money that came in above and beyond what they already taxed you to handle their $50 billion budget. And just so you also people know, when the uh, pandemic hit and the businesses were shut down, uh, we ended up spending as a state about $7 billion in unemployment insurance trust fund money, uh, $7 billion. And when the, uh, the ARPA money came back, the federal $5 billion for recovery, I thought a lot of that should have gone towards replenishing the $7 billion trust fund so that uh, you know we, our businesses would be in good shape. No, instead, what the legislature did was they uh, put a half a billion dollars into the trust fund and bonded the rest as a, as a loan over the next 20 years. And they put that cost uh, back onto businesses. So if you were a business that was shut down and you survived that, then you came back and reopened and you were trying to hire people because they were being paid uh, enhanced unemployment not to come to work. If you survived being able to at least get people coming back to work, now you're about to be hit with an unemployment uh, adjustment fee that is basically, you know, you having to pay for not being able to be open. And uh, the state had the money to pay for that in entirely with uh, the 13 billion that was brought in. But instead they decided on pet projects. Uh, I, Folks who live in a lot of that fraudulent too. a lot of that um, unemployment spending, there was massive like organized crime fraud, not like individual people claiming too much. But, you know, through with Social Security numbers from online and just claimed millions and millions of dollars of unemployment that the people that wasn't real. So on top of the PPP fraud, the um, EIDL, Economic Impact Damage, uh, and the PPP loans that were s- spent by the federal government to give businesses uh, a chance to at least you know stay open while they were when they were closed, it basically gave them some money to kind of pay their bills, right? And that we found out there was massive fraud with that federal money. But yes, in Massachusetts, we found out I think it was over a billion, uh, close to a billion and a half in dollars that were uh, fraudulently collected by people who said that they were unemployed and weren't. And instead of trying to claw that money back, the state has pretty much decided to just forego that. And, uh, you know, and the federal government, I believe, has also just foregone most of that. I mean, they're going after some of the most egregious cases, but generally speaking, it's like they said, oh, we made a mistake and there's not much we can do moving on, right? That's the general philosophy, unfortunately, with with government when it comes to your tax dollars, not as vigilant as people would like to think. Um, But look, we're we're living in an era right now where the president's had uh, several trillion dollar spending bills that have basically been printing money, devaluing the dollar, and now we're paying for it with inflation and uh, mortgage rates increasing. I mean, we're in a we're in a recession. Nobody wants to admit it. Um, but yeah, it, it's important for government to be accountable for their dollars. 
and the uh, situation with the pandemic allowed for major, major fraud. Uh, but now, again, uh, Massachusetts has plenty of money to operate. You know, you know schools were shut down. The um, you know, the operating costs, I mean, no school buses were running for the better part of two years. Uh, you know, their costs were way down. They were given a lot of uh, federal money, actually, for ventilation uh, upgrades. I've heard that there hasn't been a lot of money spent by school districts to actually do the ventilation upgrades because of the uh, pandemic. So I think schools right now are sitting on a lot of cash. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you could always do better as far as helping schools and, and trying to meet the uh, goals of educating kids. But uh, you know, they have the money they need to operate right now. And transportation, uh, Alice, I mean, again, you mentioned earlier, I stopped the gas tax from going up automatically with inflation. The uh, the ballot question in 2014, I got to know tremendous amount of information about where our state spend its money. We spend $675,000 per year per mile to uh, maintain our roads. Now, that's not, we don't physically do that on every mile of road, but that's the average that we spend for road maintenance in Massachusetts. And that number is out there because it uses it's used as a guide against other states as to how efficient we are with our dollars for transportation spending. And we are number two in the country as far as what we spend on road roads, but we're in the bottom four in the country on road condition. So again, I was able to prove during the 2014 ballot question that the state had the money, they just don't spend it where they're supposed to be spending it. And um, that's the uh, that's the big trick is to make sure that government's accountable. Um, obviously why I'm running for governor now, I've, I've served on ways and means for four years. I know where the state, state spends its money, where we do a good job and where we don't necessarily do a good job. But just getting back to the original question about uh, the ballot question number one, you know, I really do feel like, first of all, it's going to um, ultimately be an economic um, liability for Massachusetts as a whole, as far as investment in the state and growth. And I also think that, you know, again, government, when they get that money, there's no way to hold them accountable for where it's going to be spent. Absolutely. And I definitely think that uh, more Healy's priorities in particular would not be aligned necessarily with where most people would want their money spent. Um, But, you know, I I think that if you listen to my debate, if you listen to my debates with her, you'd think that she was the biggest tax cutter since Ronald Reagan, right? I mean, she's talking about, we've got to pass the Baker tax cuts. Yeah, uh, your legislature, that supermajority of Democrats, blocked that in the final week of session this last year when it when they had plenty of money to do that. And by the way, with all this excess tax revenue, the state actually has a, a legislation in place that forces them to return about $3 billion to the taxpayers. Right now, they're figuring out feverishly how to try to block the return of that money to the people who are owed the uh, overpayment of their their taxes. And they're looking for a way to try to adjust that law for the future so they don't have to give that money back. So that's the party that she's that she's representing. And, um, you know, she's for question one, she would, she really tried to, you know, duck that question when uh, when ultimately asked in the debate. Um, Yeah, she wants more government spending. And she says that it's earmarked, but it's not earmarked. So, you know, again, you're being you're being given a a mistruth when it comes to the, the this whole ballot question in general. Wow. And um, so I want to touch also quickly on on ballot question number four, because this is another big one that I think there. First of all, a lot of people don't know about it because it wasn't even printed in the booklet that uh, came out. This was a, a later add to the ballot questions. Um, and and this is all about the uh, immigrant illegal immigrants getting driver's licenses in Massachusetts, which the legislature passed. And now, so explain this ballot question is attempt to undo what the legislature did. Well, it's actually interesting because even Governor Baker blocked this by vetoing the uh, 
the law that was passed, and they overrode him. So <clears throat> it was. Uh, it's got a nice little story uh, to it as well. And this is not the first attempt that the legislature has tried to provide driver's licenses for people who are here illegally. There was a time not too long ago, uh, within the last decade, where the federal government actually told Massachusetts that your driver's licenses are so compromised because there's so many people who are here illegally that have them that uh, – the Massachusetts driver's license wasn't going to be allowed to be used to get into federal buildings or board commercial airlines. That's how dangerous uh, the situation had become. So we had to switch to real ID. I think if anybody is going through the process of getting a driver's license or, or renewing it, they know that real ID is going to be, a, uh, you're going to be forced to get the real ID. So what it's so interesting is that the legislature this year decides to pass this in an election year and, and Governor Baker vetoes it and they override him knowing uh, at the time that it really was not, first of all, safe for our, our driver's licenses and our, our license integrity, but also over the objections that, that the governor had, which were pretty legitimate. One is that the RMV, the uh, arm that would actually process the out-of-country documents from people who are here illegally. And, and, and Alice, I should also say this. This is not to block people who are in the process of becoming citizens, if you're if you're immigrating to the country, you've got your green card, you've got your H-1B uh, license to work here, uh, you're, you're, you've got your work visa, or you are a refugee from another country, you have the ability, the path to get a driver's license in Massachusetts. It's not about uh, illegal, it's not about immigration, it's about people who are here illegally that have not made any attempt to try to become a citizen or, and are saying, I deserve a driver's license. Now, again, if you went to another country that they came from, like Venezuela, for example, there is no way that they would issue somebody from America a driver's license without any documentation. And yet that's what is being asked of the citizens of Massachusetts by the legislature. So anyway, Governor Baker vetoes it. And two of his biggest objections were the RMV is not the, the right arm to do this. They have had uh, a real problem with docu sensitive documentation. And I'll explain that in a second. And the second um, part of it is that a 2020 motor voter law that was passed in Massachusetts means that anybody who gets a Massachusetts license automatically has their name put on it on uh, voting rolls in the town that they live in. So it basically opens us up to voter fraud because you're not supposed to vote in this state if you're not here legally. And yet they'll be on the voter rolls and they'll have a license if they were challenged at the polls uh, as to who they are. So back to the uh, RMV situation, we have an RMV that was unable to process out of state uh, driving violations to the point where, it, I don't know, pretty famously, I don't know if you can throw this up in your podcast, but there's a picture of a room at the RMV in Braintree that had, I think it was like 80 boxes of documents that were from other states that never got processed. And uh, these were people who violated um, th those state laws were supposed to have their licenses suspended in our state and they never processed them. One one person from Massachusetts ended up killing seven Marines up in New Hampshire. Um, he should have had his driver's license pulled. He was driving under the influence, never should have been on the road in the first place. And they died because of that, because we couldn't process all those documents. And then the um, other thing is I live down near Brockton and the Brockton RMV got caught selling uh, 2,000 licenses basically out the back door. 2,000 people got licenses without ever taking a test. So, you know, there's obviously potential for fraud through the RMV. These are documents that if anybody does present them, uh, you know, to try to prove who they are, they're from out of country. We don't necessarily have language uh, personnel at these RMVs to be able to translate. So it's it's really a slippery slope of giving licenses or creating an identification, a, a, a legal identification for someone in the state 
that you don't necessarily know exactly who they are. There's a potential for fraud there. And that's uh, that's one of the big reasons that, again, uh, Governor Baker said no. But they overrode him. They made it happen. So the citizens uh, out there decided to get together and put a petition together. They got over 40,000. Actually, they got almost 100,000 signatures. They only needed 40,000 to get it on the ballot. But unfortunately, because it was a late add to this election cycle, the uh, it didn't the language didn't make it into the the ballot question uh, form or the uh, the booklet like you mentioned. So nobody really knows what it is. But just to clarify, a no vote is you don't want driver's licenses for illegal immigrants or people here illegally, and a yes vote is you want that to happen. So uh, that's kind of the the nutshell of it all. But again, I think what you're saying here is if somebody decides to break the law and come into our country illegally. We're going to give them a license in Massachusetts. And we have already have sanctuary cities in Massachusetts, six of them, that provide refuge for people that come into the country illegally. And what those cities have said is that our local law enforcement won't work with federal law enforcement, like ICE officials, to deport anybody here illegally. And forget just people coming here illegally. Specifically, the ones who have committed crimes, you know, dealing drugs, committing murder, those people are shielded in those sanctuary cities from federal law enforcement being able to get them out of our country. And if they do get brought to justice, we have judges uh, like Shelley Joseph, who's now back on the bench, uh, amazingly, who had a backdoor treatment to somebody here illegally uh dealing drugs and she's she let them out the back door because they were going to be deported we had a we have a retired judge from salem judge feely who basically admitted there's two sets of laws in his courtroom during a sidebar with a prosecutor he was recorded saying uh you know because this person was dealing heroin but is here illegally he'll be deported he was just trying to feed his family Uh, if he was an american citizen though i would have put him away in jail (laughs) two sets of laws it benefits the illegal immigrant in uh, judge feely's court so that's the problem revolving door judges that um, you know have a political agenda and then again mayors of cities who have a political agenda uh, as far as protecting people coming here illegally and again i'm actually as a state rep I filed language to try to speed up immigration. We have about two or 300,000 people eligible to become citizens in our state. And based on funding, federal and state funding, we can only process about 1,500 people a year. That's ridiculous. We had 50,000 people leave Massachusetts last year alone because of economic issues or freedom issues. Uh, we, we have got to do a better job of allowing people who want to become American citizens live that American dream, become a vital part of our workforce, let them become citizens, but stop playing these games of doing a Band-Aid on the situation. Putting, uh, Giving driver's licenses to illegals doesn't solve the core issue or immigration reform. So that to me is the, the real ballot question that should be happening is helping people become American citizens sooner. Yeah, and it's interesting. So it's almost like the the argument that you hear in favor of illegal immigrants having driver's licenses is that it will help with public safety and it will help make sure that um, that people that it gives people you know some kind of legal status and somehow helps us like process people or it makes our roads safer in some way. Is there any so, validity to that? Yeah. People say, oh, they'll automatically now be able to get their uh, insurance. Getting a driver's license doesn't mean you you get insurance. No, there's no requirement to have insurance to get a driver's license. There is requirement to get insurance if you decide to register your car and put it on the road. But you can even buy a car without insurance. If you want to register it, that's when you have to get insurance. So this does not address what they're trying to say, which is that you'll now have people on the road that are insured. does not guarantee that whatsoever. Uh, And again, uh, I've talked to rank and file police officers who've said to me, 
it used to be that if somebody was driving without a driver's license, it gave them the ability to now, you know, again, let me, let me back up a second. One of the problems we have with uh, the drug situation in our state, and we have a major drug situation. Um, Opioid deaths are at the highest level they've ever been in the history of our state. Um, The pandemic really set us backwards and we're seeing not just heroin now, but we're seeing fentanyl coming into Massachusetts, coming across the border. And we know that there's a trafficking route that comes up, you know, through, um, through the through the south southern Massachusetts, up through Brockton, uh, up through Lawrence, up into New Hampshire, and up into Maine, and it's a pretty well known route for law enforcement. And what they see is, you know, uh, you'll see a rental cars going up and down the New England uh, this corridor, um, because what happens is drug dealers don't want to have their own cars impounded if they get caught, so they have rental cars. And so if you see these plates, uh, if you're a law enforcement officer and you're tracking these these cars going up and down um, from certain cities out of Massachusetts, they, they have a pretty good idea that there could be drug dealing going on. If they actually were able to pull somebody over um, and then they didn't have a driver's license, it would allow them to inspect the vehicle to see if there was indeed something going on. Um, I'm not saying that you know they want to profile everybody uh, who doesn't have a driver's license and say that they're all criminals, but what it does do is it allows them, uh, in cases where they do believe that there's um, drug trafficking going on, to actually have now a reason to inspect the vehicle if somebody is not driving legally. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's it's actually handcuffing uh, police officers from being able to help protect our streets. And uh, so there's there's a lot of hidden consequences to doing this beyond just the fact that uh, I always thought that, uh, again, if you come into the country illegally, you've already broken a law. How, how are you now supposed to say I should be rewarded with one of the most sensitive documents out there? I mean, my daughter just turned 21. She, she couldn't wait to, you know, to finally have that legal ID, right? To to be able to go to bars and everything like that. But th- there's there's got to be some meaning to getting you know that American citizenship and the benefits that come with it. And when you just basically disregard that, you're going to say, okay, come to Massachusetts uh, if you're from out of the country and you've come in across the, the border illegally. We're one of those red carpet states that's going to give you benefits and we're going to give you driver's licenses. And there you go. Um, I, I forget what the number of. Um, uh, when 9-11 happened, um, a lot of the pilots had Massachusetts driver's licenses and they, they were, it did not match up who they actually were in real life. So again, we saw a real life example of how that system gets abused. Now, are there other states that are currently doing this? I think California does. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe there's 17 states that have gone ahead and, and done this. But the thing is, it's a misleading number because some states have actually created what's more like a driver's uh, almost a, a separate ID to allow you to drive, not a not a legal driver's license, which is used in Massachusetts for everything from, again, federal uh, federal IDs to get into buildings on airplanes. I mean, that's supposed to be a secure document. What other states have done is they've created just a driver's sort of pass. You can you can drive, but it's not a full on, you know, uh, driver's you don't license. don't actually really know who you are. You can drive. <laughs> exactly. And so Governor Baker had actually proposed that as a as a compromise and the legislature rejected it. Yeah. So what's the rationale beyond rejecting that as a compromise? I mean, that seems to me to be a pretty generous offer to people to to start with, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd hate to think that, you know, you, you always say that, uh, you know, in Massachusetts, there's no voter fraud. I actually served in the legislature with a state representative who was who went to federal prison for he, he owned several apartment buildings and he would harvest absentee ballots and, and use them to vote for himself. And he got caught and then ended up going to federal prison. But if you talk to any legislators in Massachusetts, they'll tell you 
uh, oh, there's no voter fraud in Massachusetts. It, it happens, okay? I'm not saying it's, it's widespread, but what we're doing is we're opening the door with uh, providing driver's licenses to allowing people to now say that they are um, eligible to vote. And, I, you know, again, I, I'm all for people becoming part of the American system and, uh, and voting, but you've got to become a legal citizen. A little skin in the game is appreciated. And uh, too many people fought and died in our country to have these rights like voting. And uh, I think it's it's got to be something, one of the most sacred things. If you can't secure voting, pretty much everything else is out the window because then legislatures can become compromised in every state and, and you can basically lose a lot of your freedoms. Uh, again, the pandemic showed us that, uh, you know, your freedoms can be suspended at any time and the courts aren't there to protect you, especially if those who appoint those judges are elected by the people. And if voting fraud happens, you never know how truly secure and um, and true that vote was to begin with. Now, again, I'm not here to say that, you know, Massachusetts has had a, a massive case of voter fraud. I just don't want to have situations where we open the door to creating a, a major problem down the road. And, and the other thing I guess I should say is we found out, um, I believe it was in the, this year's 2022 primary, that about 11,000 mail-in votes, uh, mail-in ballots that were sent out to people, there was an attempt to vote, not just with the mail-in ballot request, but then to go into the town hall and vote. About 11,000 mail-in votes uh, ballots were rejected because somebody tried to vote twice um, through that. Or the mail-in ballot itself was not actually the person living at that residence and uh, mm-hmm. when they tried to verify the, the thing. So the mail-in balloting itself, which was supposed to be a, a pandemic era sort of workaround to in-person voting, it, it was made permanent by the legislature and it's already proven to have 11,000 um, problems in just the primary of this year alone. So again, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is make sure that these these voting issues are eradicated, not try to create a step where it's, it's another problem to fix. Right. And I mean, I can just from personal experience see that we got in our mailbox. There's only two adults who live in my house, me and my husband, Tom, and we got the mail in ballot request forms for the two of us and for the two people that we bought the house from four years ago. And we have all four at our address, even though I assume those people have moved and registered to vote somewhere else now. They're apparently still in the voter rolls. And what's weird is we didn't get request forms for them in 2020. So I don't know how they ended up back on the list of people to mail ballots to. It's very odd and and it creates a lack of trust. And I think that the driver's license issue also creates a lack of trust in the system, which, you know, I'm not a big voter fraud person. You know, I think in Massachusetts, Republicans especially have a lot of work to do convincing their neighbors before we worry about, you know, whether or not there was fraudulent voting, too. But but I I also you know, I I think there are a lot of people whose hearts and minds can be changed, you know, and that more so than worrying about cheating. But but I do think there is cheating that goes on. And I think that when you create that lack of trust, which I think the state of Massachusetts has done now with the mail-in voting and this driver's licenses for illegal immigrants, you're creating a lack of trust in the system that does set up this kind of division where some people just will not believe that the election results are legitimate. And I want people to believe the election results are legitimate. We have a U.S. We have a U.S. senator who believes that the 2016 election was stolen. Senator Ed Markey still thinks we have a stolen Supreme Court uh, because Trump somehow colluded with Russia, even though it's been fully proven that that was a steel dossier, a whole attempt by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the FBI to frame him uh, for something. But no, there are 
sitting U.S. senators from Massachusetts that actually think elections have been stolen. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't, I mean, it's been my whole trust. life. I like I I was born in 1987. So there's not a Republican president in my adult lifetime that was treated as legitimate. George W. Bush was <laughs> Bush. legitimate. Florida, I mean, the hanging sheds. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. There, there hasn't been there. It's been Republicans aren't legitimate my entire adult life. So I don't have like a ton of sympathy, but I, I think that it's very, very dangerous actually to have a system where people don't think that that the elections work, that they're real. Like we don't want to live in Putin's Russia where people win with 95% of the vote and everybody knows <laughs> it's a joke, but they just go on about their lives. Like we don't want that. We want a system where people wake up the day after election day and know who won and believe that it's true. And like, and I think that it's very important, even if, even if you don't think there's fraud personally, my Democrat friends, I think it's very important that you have a system in place to assure Sure, people who might think there's fraud that that you can point to and say there wasn't fraud because we had these checks in place because we had voter ID because we know that the people with the IDs really are who they say they are because we know that we didn't send out thousands and thousands of extra mail-in ballots and you know Look, I mean Facebook went so if you posted anything that even used the word COVID or pandemic Facebook would stick a warning or Twitter would put a warning on your tweet or your Facebook post I mean we can somehow monitor a ton of stuff but we don't want to create security you know create that that extra check and balance on just the most basic thing that we that gets our, our puts our country on the map which is our democracy and the voting that that uh, it makes us the supposedly the envy of the rest of the world yeah like you said when you have uh, third world countries that basically have 100 percent turnout for one for one candidate it makes you scratch your head Absolutely. Well, I think that that really, you know, gets at the core of this ballot question and and why it is so problematic, this number four. So that I mean, that's why I'm voting no on it is really it's it's an election security thing. I don't know why they couldn't take the compromise of doing, you know, a driving ID that's separate from a real Massachusetts driver's license. And and I think that, that speaks a lot to what the motivations are. But anyway, I will let you get back on the campaign trail. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me about these questions and provide some of your insights. Like I say, I don't know if anybody in the state knows as much about these issues as you do. I, I I think that it's uh, great, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Clouds rolled in, and I said, Must have brought the rain from Boston. But you looked at me, and I felt the sun.